0: Hey everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Brown Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard
1: you know, now I found myself at this point in my career where I realized I needed to take my own advice and I had to tell my own story as well. And it wasn't easy, but I felt like, you know, if I'm going to be held up like a role model for this next generation of young leaders, then I better be doing the work to make sure that I'm telling more of the story, more of the truth. I mean, anyone who has ever known what it is to be overlooked, undervalued, overwhelmed, othered, this is your story. I'm really excited
0: for today's guest, and I'll tell you why. Um, I've watched her from afar, admired her from afar, Uh, always thought on the outside looking in, she was just so well put together, and she had everything going on. I mean, from career to, you know, what she looked like aesthetically, personally. Um, so I get to dive deep with Elaine Welteroff. You may know her uh, as New York Times bestselling author and award-winning journalist. She's been in the print industry for years. She was at Ebony Magazine, Glamour Magazine, but she became known arguably to the world when she was announced as the youngest editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue. That skyrocketed her career. It put her on a path, I believe, that perhaps most didn't think would happen. But what I loved about her uh, and what I do love about her is her willingness to be honest about what it takes to get to a certain level. And then when you get in that rarefied air and have that rarefied position, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. So many people look at others and think the grass is greener, outside looking in, this is what I wanna do. But you don't know what it takes. So in today's brown print, She explained when she was at the height of her career, publicly and professionally, uh, how difficult it was, but she knew she had to do it. She also talks about her way to the top. And it was interesting. I learned a lot. I may may have quietly shed one or two thug tears because I like to cry a lot now, but arguably so far, this has been one of my favorite guests in the brown print. Sorry, no no disrespect to everybody else who came on before, but this was a good one. It was a good one. G-O-O-O-D-T. That's what, how you spell that. It was a good, a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, Elaine Welton. I like to start every podcast with a personal story, and I don't know if you'll remember this.
1: Oh, my gosh. But,
0: but I want to say... May 2019, mm. right? We could all go outside, and Michelle Obama was holding an event at UCLA, my alma mater, mm. and you were there mm. among the people that we were encouraging. It was National Signing Day, if you will, for college students, and we were encouraging a lot of students to get out and talk about what school they were going to, and you know how she's so big on education. Um, and that was my first time seeing you in person. And I thought to myself, I love how comfortable she appears in her own skin and so well put together. Wow. And I think it's hard to do that in a world where people often look for us to be perfect um, and have answers. And we're just being ourselves. And that's what I sensed from you, just being wow. yourself. And that was just a beautiful way of meeting you from afar, just Aww. so you know.
1: Oh, Carrie. Carrie
0: they're bringing it back. It was down. beautiful. Yeah, you remember, right? Very
1: very very kind. Wow. That yes, I do remember that day vividly. Um, that was really really fun and overwhelming. There was so many I think that was like the the livest um, stage I've ever stepped onto. It was like I mean, it was it was like a stadium full of uh, folks uh, seniors in high school who were ready to go into college and there was so much energy backstage, like, you know, weight was there and um, just, yeah. And just even like waiting in line to meet Mrs. Obama and take a picture with her was just like, everyone was buzzing like little kids. It was really exciting. Was that your first time ever meeting her? No, I, I, no, I had, I had met her actually fun fact, my very first magazine um, internship experience like on set once I had already gotten my internship at ebony magazine was shooting a michelle obama cover and yes like how amazing I-, I was like we could just drop the mic right here I was like 21 years old and I was just like it doesn't get better than this like this is this is actually it for me I peaked early I'm done <laughs> um, <laughs> you're
0: like life is over right I've done it
1: <laughs> thank right. you no that I was remembered for me I she didn't know who I was obviously so so it was sort of a Re-int- and I think I've met her in person and maybe one other time, but it was sort of you know at each time it's like a reintroduction. I, yes, I did. I actually interviewed her, I think the year prior, but it it already it always feels like the first time when you get to meet. She is, is
0: so regal and so amazing. That was like one of one like a highlight of my of my my life. I really truly enjoyed her she's just she's something special to behold as well but with that being said um i we got to go back it's interesting in the world that we live in in social media people um have platforms and you don't necessarily know how or where they came from or how they came up. And then all of a sudden you look around and they're everywhere and, you, and you're and you interested and you're curious um, about their rise. And the point of the brown print um, for me specifically was to create um, almost as if it's a, a mentorship, if you will, a guide for people who are in different areas, uh, different professions who are looking for advice. They're looking for answers. They're looking for an example of what they want to be and they want to hear from those who've been able to do it so successfully consistently at a high level um and our way especially as as women as black women often we are forgotten and marginalized um considered you know last not first and when that happens we we can be discouraged or we can figure out a way to rise within the ranks uh, and become our own. So hard to do, easier said than done. So by way of background, could you please um, tell everyone about where you grew up uh, and what you thought you would be in life?
1: Yeah, I love, I love starting at the beginning. Um, I grew up in a small town in Northern California called Newark, California. You've never heard of it, I'm sure. Not Newark, New Jersey, it is Newark, California, it's a thing. Um, and I did not know I, the, the, my least favorite question to be asked was, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Because I felt res- it was a restrictive question. It felt like there was only a singular answer. Um, it felt like I had to choose one path, one title um, one thing that would define me for the rest of my life. And it just felt like too much of a commitment. It's like, I'm eight. How do I know? You know, it was, (laughs) it was just overwhelming. So what I, what I did know from a very early age, however, is that, is that I wanted to be great. I wanted a life that was above average. I wanted, I wanted to be exceptional and how I defined that changed over time and was influenced by different things that I saw on television or on magazines or, you know, in my auntie's uh, hair salon. You know, I I was sort of pulling in references to help create this collage for myself that defined what greatness could look like for someone like me. And, And over time, I came to know that what I wanted to be was actually um, something that hadn't been defined yet. And there wasn't a single singular title that could capture it all. Um, And so when I discovered a black woman named Harriet Cole, and I saw her doing sort of exactly what I wanted to do, which is a number of different things in one career, in one career path, um, I was like that, that is it. And I love, I love the name of your podcast, the blueprint, the, the brown print rather, because so many of us did not have a blueprint. We didn't have a black print. We didn't have a, we didn't have a brown print. We didn't have a roadmap. Um, and I'm so grateful that at a very sort of pivotal point in my self-development and my self-discovery process, I found this woman whose career path was sort of the personification of all of the, all of the gifts and talents and interests and passion areas that, um, that I possessed, but didn't really know how to channel professionally all at once, Mm. you know? So, you Mm. know, and, and so I, 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 Stocked this woman and I <sighs> knew I had to work for her. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, long story short, I got the chance to, to work for her at Ebony Magazine, which is where I got my start. So, but, but, but at the time, she was a magazine editor. She was the editor in chief of, of Ebony Magazine. And so I thought, okay, well, she's, she's done all these things and right now she's a mag- magazine editor. Like, I guess I want to be a magazine editor you know it's a great platform she was able she started at ebony at essence magazine as a fashion director for many years and then she branched off and she wrote multiple best selling books and she you know had a television presence and she had a before there were podcasts there were syndicated radio shows and she you know she just she was a renaissance woman and mm. I, I didn't know that we had permission to do that. And so seeing her mm. do that gave me permission to it, it, be that myself and step into that. So, so yeah, that's, that's what I discovered I wanted to be when I grew up.
0: Okay, so wait a second. You didn't know you could be all of those things because you didn't have permission. What do you mean by
1: that? I mean, I felt like I had to choose a box to check. I felt like I had to choose a box to squeeze myself into, you know, I thought I have to choose a safe and secure career path that everyone will understand. And, you know, so I, I, at one point, I mean, I started school college um, studying psychology. I thought I I should be a psychologist because my mom always called me Oprah Winfrey and deb uh, she used to call me young Barbara Wawa because I she was like, "You are always getting everyone's business. you are always asking why and then what happened? like you know it's always who <laughs> who I was and I and I thought, well, then maybe I should be a, a psychologist because people tend to share their stories with me and feel safe, you know. Just opening up. Um, and I'm really, in, I'm really interested in people and how they think and how, what makes them tick and how to help them heal and sort through their feelings and thoughts and passions and all that stuff. But ultimately, then I took my first um, psychology class and I looked around and I was like, nobody has a cute outfit on in here. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I just, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, just, I think a little <laughs> bit more about appearances and things. And I just, I maybe, but I didn't feel, I felt, I felt intimidated by fashion. I I, (laughs) I didn't feel welcome in the capital F fashion community. I didn't think that that would be a place I could fit in either. Um, so it took time to figure out like, what's, what's my thing. Um, I spent time going down the path of, um, public relations and advertising. I interned at Ogilvy and Mather in New York. And ultimately that environment was way too stiff. And you know, cold and I just did not feel alive there. I didn't feel like I fit in there either and didn't feel um, motivated uh, to do my best work. So I think it takes trial and error to figure out like where you fit into the world. And once you understand what you don't want, then it puts you, it it gives you the bravery to dig deeper and explore and take risks um, to get closer to what it is you do want.
0: I, there are so many lessons in what you just said, it, and there's so much I'm trying to digest because it's just the, the perfect point of what we're doing here with the brown, the brown print, which is realizing that you're not going to figure it out right away, but once, you've, once you find it, it, it feels right and there's a passion about it. And for you to say, I want it to be great. And I wanted to be great at whatever I did, whether I did a bunch of things. And I didn't know that we had permission to a bunch of things until I saw it with my own eyes. And then I could then dream what it would be, but just for me. So let me delve into this realm and delve into that realm. But you ultimately uh, made your name for, to others in the world of fashion. Mm-hmm. How does one do that in a world that they didn't ultimately feel comfortable in or welcomed in right away?
1: Mm, that's a great question. Um, well, I will say I sort of fell into fashion. I, as I mentioned, like I ended up chasing this woman, Harriet Cole, all the way to New York and, uh, started interning for her at Ebony magazine where, you know, as we know, unfortunately, um, which is the case for a lot of, you know, black owned businesses, black media was very under resourced. And so, um, The upside of that is uh, a young, hungry intern like me got to wear a lot of different hats and, you know, acquire a lot of skills very quickly. And what I learned when I stepped into that role is, oh, I'm the beauty and fashion department. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to figure out what this means and uh, make it happen. And so, uh,
0: (laughs) yeah, so... I'm the department, guys. Welcome. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, the best experience ever, though, comes from those opportunities and those jobs where you do it all because you wear a lot of different hats and you become, if you have that, what you have, which is that that intestinal fortitude that says, I refuse to be less, only great, you become so invaluable, as you all well know.
1: 100%. And I always, I say to people, don't chase the sexy. You don't mm-hmm. chase the sexy because like while many- people have come to know me because of my work at Teen Vogue, I would never have ascended the ranks at Condé Nast and become the editor-in-chief at 29 had I not started in the trenches at Ebony Magazine, learning how to do everyone's job. And, and, you know, so by the time I got, like, Ebony at the time wasn't necessarily considered a sexy place to work. We were in the middle of turning around a magazine, um, you know, and trying to make it, trying to refresh it, um, which, by the way, was a very important skill set to learn. And mm-hmm. as we all are experiencing, we're all in the midst of a of figuring out how to pivot professionally and and person in our personal lives. So for me, being thrown into that environment at Ebony Magazine, you know, in the middle of the recession of 2000, I was started in 2008. Um, but also being able to document the, you know, the rise of President Barack Obama, and being able to be on set, my second week on the job with Michelle Obama, uh, to be able to be a little, you know, PA on set who handed one of her friends a tampon when they needed it, like that, to me, what I had so much pride. I was like. I'm the tampon girl from Michelle Obama. True, mm. like, um, <laughs> like I made it. I made it. Like mama, it? <laughs> I made it. Drop the mic. Uh-huh, like uh-huh, so, uh-huh. I had the most enriching experiences um, in that experience that other people kind of put their stuck their nose up at and said, like, why would you want to work there? Why you know? And um, but I value. I value every year that I spent there. Um, because I wouldn't be the professional that I am, I wouldn't have become the young leader that I became without those experience those formative experiences.
0: And I, I look, you say don't chase the sexy. I always tell people and then the, the form of what I did. I started off in a small, small town in West Virginia. I was a one man band. I carried my camera, my tripod. I edited, I did it all and was glad to do so. Mm -hmm. And it made me so comfortable in my own skin when I moved from market to market to market, Mm -hmm. because I knew what I was talking about. If the photographer was like, I don't think we can get that shot. I was like, well, give me the camera. I can get it then if you Mm -hmm. can't, you know what I mean? Or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And so you don't find yourself in a world where you feel not necessarily um, unworthy, you feel valuable because you you know inherently that you have the skill set that no one else has or that you've been able to acquire skills that no one else has. Absolutely. But that happens for us, especially us Black women. It happens for us also often. Marginalized groups, and I just don't want to, I want to make sure I'm very clear, where you don't see a lot of us or one of a few we always have to have more. We can't show up mediocre. We have to show up and know that our excellence will be considered what is expected. Others have that that luxury. We we don't. Our excellence is what is expected. And when I look at your career, you talked about at 29 how you became the EIC of Teen Vogue. They've talked about what you were able to do, um, the influence you were able to have, the the ability to move the needle in the conversations that appeared in the magazine and online, um, YouTube channels, you talked about activism, you were social justice, you, politics, all of those things may have been discussed before, but you were able to create a new culture, if you will. Talk about that.
1: I was figuring out how to go from Black media to prestige title in white media, which was glamour. And I found myself um, deep in assimilation syndrome, just trying to fit in, fit the mold, to be accepted, um, to build some sense of credibility and authority. And it really wasn't until I got that promotion to work at Teen Vogue as the beauty director and the headlines hit that... Spelled out for the world that I had just made history as the first Black beauty director in Conde Nast's 107-year history. When that hit the wires, it was news to me. And you certainly don't go into these roles applying to make history, right? Like you don't know it's gonna. You're just you're just a hardworking Black woman Mm. exceeding expectations Mm. because you know that's what's expected of you. That's And so, but when, but when I, when that news hit, it hit me hard uh, on a deeper level. I thought, okay, wait, so I'm working so hard to fit in here. And the reality is my race is going to walk into the room before I do every time. So the rules that I'm trying to abide by don't necessarily always apply to someone like me. I'm a different type of player in this game and I need to play it differently. And I will need to rewrite some of the rules as I go. And if I'm going to be a first, that means I have to, that comes with responsibility. And of course, opportunity, but to to open doors for folks who don't look like me, who don't look like the folks um, who predominantly make up this industry, um, it's going to mean representing for um, communities that have never been reflected or represented within these walls. And that's gonna require me to do some work on a personal level to find my voice um, and to embrace my otherness as a superpower and to to start making changes gradually and stepping into my power happened gradually, you know, story by story, higher by higher, year by year. And there were some wins and there were some lessons along the way. Um, So, you know, what what I found is when we lean into our difference and embrace it and lead with it, we have the power to actually change the culture of the room that we're in. We have the power to change the conversation within that room, rather. We have the power to change the complexion. Of the industry or the business that we're operating within. And and so as the years went on, I felt more and more confident um, being who I really am and bringing more of my authentic voice into the work that I'm doing and uh, that I was doing. And so uh, I, 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 I say that because I think it's really important. Like people think when they see headlines about someone or just the highlight reel about someone's career that, you know, they just like popped out the womb with their fist up, and they jump. You know, they first day at Vogue, and they're just like, yeah, it's a Black Lives Matter <laughs> protest. And you know, like, it, it's it, it, it's it's really important that we spend time talking about the how and the why behind the what we see.
0: The need to feel like you have to assimilate. But finally, realizing that your otherness was a superpower, how did you do that? Doesn't happen overnight. But if someone's listening right now, they're like, "I'm trying to just fit in, and I really need to realize the power is me being different. How did you go about that? Who gave you that that feedback that says, "Yes, be different. Yes, go there." because you have to feel safe to embrace your otherness in any workspace, in any relationship
1: That's true. That's true. And I think that, that what makes us feel safe is not always in the room. It's what we carry within that we bring with us into the room. It's our ancestors. It's our mother's wisdom and encouragement that it's, it's our mentors outside that we lean on outside of these, you know, outside of the, 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 the walls of, you know, our organization. And sometimes it's people internally. Um, for me, it's, you know, I will say the black community as a whole the you know black twitter just celebrating my win stepping into this role it it empowered me it it helped me remember that i'm doing this for us it's Mm. bigger than me so Mm. that helped me push past my fear in certain moments because i recognize like it's hard i think for, for for women not to make a generalization but i think for a lot of women for a lot of black folks we were conditioned to just make do to not rock the boat um you know take you know take get the take the best you can and just keep your head down and just do the work um and that's those are sort of survivalist um teachings that we've inherited and so there is some amount of unlearning and like you know We have to, we have to unbecome some of the things that we've been trained to be in order to make it and survive. Um, and we have to know that it's not going to feel comfortable, but it's necessary. Like we have to be able to agitate within these systems in order to change them. It's not going to be comfortable and you might, you might not feel safe, but you have to remember that you're not, it's harder when you're advocating for yourself when you're a woman, when you're a black person, when you're, when you're other, and when you're in a a minority group, um, there's a lot of messages that tell you, like, are you you really worth that? Or do you really want to risk that? Or like, gosh, you have no fallback plan or like who else is going to hire you? Or what if, what, what what if they say something about you and they ruin your reputation and call you difficult and, and it it makes it harder for you to get a job.
0: Or I, I really, where's the church plate? I need to give, no, where's my, do we have the offering? Guys, guys, <laughs> if you're listening right now, I need y'all to pass this plate around because she is preaching to my spirit <laughs> right now. Put in your little $20 um, and we're going to pass this offering plate around for everybody <laughs> because this is a word. Like, I'm not kidding you. I find myself... As I've adventured left into working on my own every single day that I require me to be me, the, the, every single day when I stand up for myself and what I want to do to be great or what I want in my work environment, because I am my own boss. I am an independent contractor. I always hear, oh, are you being too difficult? How do we unlearn that survival, just just get along mentality? How do we unlearn that outside of just pushing the envelope and and, and staying with it?
1: I, I think it's a, it's like anything else. it's like a muscle. You just have to keep exercising it, and you have to mm-hmm. also find your um, chorus of support that will remind you who you are and why mm. you're there and why you're doing that work and um, who will also tell you when you're wrong or when you are really being too difficult. you know what I mean? you, 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 you need those people that you really trust um to be there as your sounding board before you go into these rooms or into these negotiations. Um, But I think, you know, it's also helpful, you know, not to get too like woo woo, but to have mantras, to have affirmations, to have reminders. So when you feel the fear rising up, you have a counter narrative to, to knock down some of that internalized, Frankly, racism and sexism and 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 who am I to ism, you know, like <laughs> we need and, and that's part of how I, I ended up landing on more than enough as my book title. And it's a necklace that I wear every day that says more than enough because there are so many moments that I still, you know, find myself in where I'm like, uh, like I don't feel smart enough, I don't feel experienced enough, I don't feel you know, worthy enough to ask for that. Or I don't, you know, or then you get to the point where, as you're saying, you, you, you then get told as soon as you start accomplishing something and you start, you know, attracting there's momentum around your work. And, and it, then, then you sort of start to hear the hater in your head saying like, you're doing too much and you're too bossy. And now you are too getting too ahead of yourself. And, 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 like, you start trolling yourself. And so I think this idea of, like, I'm more more than enough, even when I am a work in progress, and I will always be a work in progress. So, like, having something to to counteract some of those narratives that we've inherited that are so unhealthy for our growth. And not just singular growth, like our collective growth. Because the more that you demand your worth, and the more you stand in your power the more you set a new precedent for how I can show up.
0: When you left, I know that we talked about the book, but when you left um, Teen Vogue, everyone probably thought the same way they said to me when I left ESPN, they were like, ooh, you know what I mean? Ah, really? Good luck. And there was, and then I was so comfortable in my own skin and also quite frankly fed up because I knew that there was more and I, and I, was tired of assimilating and not being my my full self. I just could not bring my full self to work. I'm I, I was put on this 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 earth to tell stories that make a difference for our community. Um, speak for those who don't have a voice for themselves, and I couldn't do that in all honesty and not in a truthful way. And every time someone told me, "Don't do it," you know, because it had been on my heart for years. I wasn't just sitting there overnight. I didn't wake up and say, "I'm leaving." But it had been on my heart for years. And I just said, I don't have to step out on faith because I just don't know. And all my friends kept saying, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? Go. The people who really know me, they're like, go. There's so much for you. You're wasting your time. Go. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. But I trolled myself, as you talked about. Mm -hmm. And I still troll myself, as you just talked about, when I'm getting, quote unquote, to demanding or asking for my worth, Mm -hmm. you know, what I deem my worth. So I love what you stand for and how you are representing in a way that people can see it because I'm visualizing it. I see you living this life and it's, it's, and it's not always perfect. Talk about the, the uncomfortable moments of doing what you know you are doing or demanding your worth. Talk about why it isn't always so easy as it may appear on the outside.
1: Yeah. Well, that's part of why I had to write my book because I am a truth teller. I mean, that's, that's why I became a journalist. Um, You know, I have spent 12 years of my career telling other people's truths. Um, And I felt like when I left, there was so much to say about what I had experienced that would never, like, would never, like, what what do I do with this? What do I, I feel like as any of us who found ourselves in these positions where we are one of few to be able to do, you know, to do what we, what we were put here to do um, against the odds is sort of like, it comes with a responsibility to leave signposts along the way that make it a little bit less daunting and more and, and less isolating for the next black woman who's coming up behind us or beside us. And so I felt like I, I had to tell more of the story, like the hard stuff, the stuff that I wish more, more black women felt comfortable and safe enough, brave enough to say out loud so that you are less likely to be gaslit Uh, when you're going through it, you know, and you feel like it's just you and you feel isolated. And I will tell you, I was very candid and transparent in my book about the challenges at every step of the way. Um, And one of the hardest things for me to write about was my salary negotiation around that big appointment, um, heard around the world, heard around Twitter um, of me becoming the editor-in-chief that by the way, as a culture, we love celebrating a first. We love, we love a win, right? Like, but we rarely think about what comes with being first. And, you know, like we talk about breaking glass ceilings, but we don't talk about the bruises and the cuts that come with it. And you as a black woman, especially as a first, you're like, there is that voice saying you should just be grateful. Like you should just take it and do with it what you can and don't, don't rock the boat. Don't, you know, I think we're approaching a different moment now. And I think that there's a new generation of radicalized young people that are, that um, know their worth and have, you know, they're going to be building on all of, you know, the legacy of all of those people who came before them. They're not going to put up with all that, what we put up with Carrie. They're (laughs) just like that. So (laughs) um, honestly, if I could be like, if I could like be a part of any generation, I'd be Gen Z, and um, the world would not be ready for me, but... Um, I, did, we had to come when we came. I, I but go, go ahead. <laughs> but um, all, all of, I, I digress. While I was, you know, the youngest editor-in-chief in chief in Connie Nast at the time, I was also asked to do the job for less than what that job's ever been done for. I was also asked to do it alongside two other people, which broke from precedent in the history of, of you know magazine journalism, there's always been one editor-in-chief. And I was asked to do it alongside two people who I respected and had worked with for years. But, it, but this triangulation was unique to my experience as an editor-in-chief. I was also told I would not have an office. I was told I wouldn't have um, the full title. I was told I would like, there were a lot of caveats that were not necessarily captured or reflected in the way that win was projected into the world on social media. And so it created this painful um, sort of dual existence where yeah. I felt like people had this perception of, of my power and my position in the world and felt like they're cheering me on and young people were suddenly overnight looking up to me and asking me to on the street to you know give them advice and take pictures with them and on the other side I feel completely disempowered and um it's like a gut punch because at the same time you're you're being given an opportunity that you know you you've earned. You know you can take it to the next level. You know you're qualified to do this work. It's a part of your passion and your purpose. It's a part of your mission to do this work. So stepping down from that feels like it's, 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 it's robbing you of your destiny, right? But if you say yes, and you take this, you know, this deal that leaves you feeling disempowered, um, you feel like a, you feel like a fraud to the world. You're like, I, this is just, it was so, it was so, um, really hard. And, and even talking about it now, I get little like, Oh, I don't want to sound woe is me. I, I don't want to victimize myself. Listen, I've had a great career and I've gone on to do incredible things. And it's just the beginning. The last chapter of my book, I, 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 I sort of ended the book after I left team, like leaving Teen Vogue. And the last chapter is called just the beginning. Um, because there's so much more I've already done and that I will and intend to do, and I have no, uh, need to victimize myself, but what I do have a need to do, I I feel the need to tell the truth, um, so that this kind of thing cannot happen for the next, Mm. and there is a next, there is an even younger editor in chief who is a black woman who is in that seat today. And that gives me so much pride and that gives me so much um, sort of relief that, that the progress will continue and, and my experience was not in vain. And I'm sure, Carrie, you're nodding. I'm, I'm no, we haven't even had the chance to break bread yet, but like I know you've, you must be, have experienced some of this. And the reality is every black woman leader that I've ever sat down with behind closed doors has shared some of the same types of war stories with me and shown Mm. me their scars and and what i think we need to do is normalize these conversations make Mm. them mainstream um and when we do that we we come together and we 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 are more powerful together than we are individually you cannot silence uh you us in numbers when we are saying this has been our collective experience, something needs to change. Um, and and so my yeah my I love what you're doing. I love that you're even creating this platform to normalize this kind of conversation, so that we can start to help each other cancel out the the the, the trolling that we do that keeps us silent and that keeps us feeling like well I can't I don't want to fight that or I don't want to say that or I don't want to be the one you know. Enough with all that. And and, and par- part of the title is that too. It's like, it's, I've done enough. I've had enough. I've given enough. <laughs> I'm more than enough. And I'm out. And I'm out. And like, I think that uh-huh. sounds like that. You got to that point as well
0: in your career. To hear you share your story hurt me because I know that was painful. You, when we live in a world where our power or our title, or our position comes with an asterisk. Yeah. It's, it's a lot and it's always so often and it, it happens at every level. You and I know somebody whose title is the see something something or the boss of this or the head of that. And there is this constant disrespect that is accepted. And I wonder, I often wonder, is it just because we are black women or is it just because I'm a black man or a marginalized person or is it because that's what happens to people in those positions, no matter what? You know, I I would I would love to live in a world where I believed it had nothing to do with the color of my skin or my gender. I would, but I know that's just not true. Um, and I think we should make these conversations normal, which is clearly what I'm trying to do with this podcast, but there's still a part of us that We refuse to be honest about what we're making and we don't want to give up that appearance of power when in reality that is so powerful to be vulnerable and to share these stories. When I was at ESPN, I was the first Black woman to ever host a show Monday through Friday. We've had other Black women, Robin Roberts and Sage Steele, but I hosted a show Monday through Friday, what we call in-house. That was our Black term, in-house. Um, And I didn't know that. Right. And it didn't matter. But what I did know is that I was woefully underpaid. And I found that out. (laughs) You're going to fall out laughing. One day, um, my check, my my one check that I got paid because I got paid every, you know, every two weeks. Something happened. It was a mix up in accounting. (laughs) Sorry, that's Coco. Something happened. There was a mix up in accounting. And I got a check for like maybe $150,000. And that was for somebody's one pay period. You know, I was barely, I was making one hundred and fifty dollars the year. This is when I first got there in 2012. So whoever was sitting on either side of me, my two male co-hosts was getting paid $150,000 every two weeks. Wow, that was what I was making for the year. Girl. The level of disrespect I felt I didn't expect to be paid what they made, but I was like, oh, you got, oh, you guys really are like, she doesn't fucking matter. You better be happy to be here, little black girl. And I remember calling my agent and telling him, and he was like, you should just be grateful. You know I fired his ass. So that's how I was introduced, and nothing ever changed. And I fought. But I got to the point where the time I left you're like she's always asking for things you're damn right because I came in here so woefully underpaid I'm always asking for things but what we do is that we don't work for them we work for the Lord so we show up every day and we do a great job and we always do I never I never mail it in like I always want to do a great job because that's a reflection of me and who I work for which is not them ultimately I want you to talk about that for you and I'm gonna put my dog I'm gonna put it my i putting my thing on mute because my dog is cuckoo sorry <laughs>
1: It wasn't easy. It took a toll on my spirit. It took a toll on my mental health. It took a toll on my physical health. Um, and at, uh, it's it's something that I wrestled with a lot, a lot more than I think even people who worked with me even had any idea. Because we, we sort of put on our armor and we go in and we, you know, make the best of some bad situations sometimes, and we you know we were trained up to to make lemonade out of lemons and um, I remember when i called when I was in that sort of pivotal moment where I was offered the job, and then I was told um, you have until like eleven a m for this press announcement to go out this was it was at 10 fifteen I was told that so um And I was like, wait, but like, is there an opportunity to negotiate, to talk about? And I was told no. And if, um, what was I told specifically? The words were, um, we would hate to put the, we would hate to have to make this announcement without you, but we want to be clear that this announcement is going out at 11 a.m. with or without you. So... (laughs) for that announcement to then go out and well, I'll say, so so that's what I was told. And so in that like critical window where I was given this ultimatum, I called my trusted mentor, an older man. Mm -hmm. And I said, what do I do? Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. And this is someone who every step of the way had told me you're the smartest person in the room. You are a boss. Yeah. You like you got this, like this was the person that I called to build me up and also to help me be strategic and navigating this rise. And he'd been there to help support the, the winds along the way. And he knew he, he, felt I was qualified for this job. And so when I called him in that moment, I said, I don't know what to do. I feel like I have between a rock and a hard place. And he said, took a, it was like a pregnant pause. And he was like, you don't have any leverage. Uh-huh. And it was like my, la- I, I thought of, if anyone in this world can tell me <laughs> something, give me a gem, give me something to go back with, to help me fight. And when he said those words, I just really lost hope. And I felt like I had no agency. And I felt like I had to just like take it and make do and make the best of it. And so I told myself, while I'm going to do this, I'm going to work so hard to make it so clear (laughs) that I earned this job and that Mm -hmm. I deserve so much more than what I have been offered that it will make them embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And I am going to prove it in spades. Uh I, I, and I, I focused on the work almost as a way and it took a minute actually to, I, I, I sort of made that it was, I was resolute in like proving my worth instead of negotiating for my word, which I felt I had to do because I was told I had no leverage. And, and what I will say though, is the very next day within 24 hours, once that announcement went out, you know, who gave me my leverage black Twitter. Amen. Every <laughs> black person that celebrated that win online and said how much it meant, what it meant to the culture. The fact that that became this big diversity win for the company actually did give me leverage because Mm. now, now somebody knows my name, (laughs) you know? Um, Before that, I'm like, no one knows who I am. No, you know, but I thought I could ring that alarm if I had to, like, if I had to say, you know, and I don't want to, I want to do the job. I just want to be paid fairly for the job that I've been asked to do. That's it. I want to
0: be paid more than fairly, Elaine, because I'm going to do more than what the job is worth. And I'm going to I'm going to meet you above the expectations you've been set for yourself. I'm going to be excellent. That's what we do. I'm never not going to be excellent. You don't think I'm prepared. I'm more prepared than you know. You don't think I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm sorry. That's what we do because we don't have a choice. So pay me more. Always ask for more because you're going to give more because you're more than enough.
1: Girl, girl, girl. girl. Now, now somebody else, somebody else <laughs> needs to pass the, pass the uh, plate. Pass the plate. We need to pass, no. the, plate. <laughs> need to pass the plate one more time. <laughs> that was a word and you're right. But it takes time to get to that that place where, yeah. you, where you know that, where that you know that you know that, you know that and you can use that in your negotiations. But at that point, I felt like I just... All I had was um, my work ethic and I felt like I need to show improve.
0: Mm -hmm. And you did. Um, As you share your story, I've watched you thrive. And I think if someone is paying close attention to any of our stories, our stories, there is nothing but truth in betting on yourself. You said in your very last chapter, this is just the beginning. Look, as we wrap this Talk about what you've been able to do since then
1: and what's on the horizon, if you will. Sure. Um, well, I will say, I, you know, I, I had a really hard time at first. I mean, I knew it was time to leave. I knew I felt it. I felt a new, bigger dream kind of perky, percolating. And, um, but I had, uh, you know, come to, I, I came, my identity sort of um, became defined by this title that I held. And I knew I was capable of so much more than, than, than even just that. And I was very proud of what we did together as a team at Teen Vogue. But um, to me, I just knew there was, there was more. And um, I think that we know it's time to move when we've reached the point of diminishing returns. And when we are no longer learning and growing and feeling alive and feeling... Um, you know, and and also I felt like part of, part of the, I also think it's really, it's a really important thing to leave on a high, make your mark and then move Mm on. Yeah. Right. Like I don't want to ever be stuck in an identity that is too small or in a title or a job, um, or in a dynamic with an employer that, um, isn't situated for my expansion, so sometimes you just have to step out, and um, luckily, you know, full circle for taking it full circle. Like I built my business model, if you will, off of a woman, a black woman who, whose magazine career truly was the jumping-off point for her. It was it was her opportunity to build and learn, you know. um, to acquire skills that she would need in her afterlife. And then, so I always knew, especially coming in during the recession, I was like, I might lose my job any day. You know, I sort of always lived my career like I might lose my job any day. And so I was always dreaming of what's next. I think you always have to be in the now and doing your work, but thinking about the next and and positioning yourself to be building towards that, like setting yourself up for what's next and then the next next. And so- Um, I always knew I, that magazines were first, we're going to be the first big mountain I would climb and that there would come a point when I would need to take a leap of faith. So my whole career, I, I spent checking I would have moments of checking in with myself. Have I reached the point of diminishing returns yet? Okay. I have to stay for, I haven't learned everything I've, I was meant to learn here. So I have to stay, even if I feel like I got it, I want to go, I have to stay. There's more to learn but I reached the point where I knew very clearly it was time to go, but um, I struggled with it, you know, and, and um, it was a, a, a conversation with someone I really love and admire and respect um, that, gave me, that gave me my courage or reminded me of my own courage to go ahead and walk. And it was Ava DuVernay and um, she kind of, Heard my whole story, and she just leaned in, and she said to me, do you want to know what I think? (laughs) You're Ava DuVernay. I definitely want to know what you think, (laughs) please. And she said, I think the universe is calling you to be a little bit braver right now. (laughs) (laughs) I could never unhear that. And I've carried that with me every step of the way in my, in my afterlife, in my editor afterlife, like universe calling is calling you just to be a little bit braver. And I, and it's not just about blind faith. Like I also was very strategic and I had a vision and an actual vision board. I had a whiteboard in my office at team Vogue that I would build on. And I knew the different divisions that I wanted to develop and what I wanted to make um, financially, how much money I wanted to make in each division. And, um, and a lot of it was like really just doing what I was already doing for a company and doing that for myself. I, my job was very multifaceted. A lot of our jobs are very multifaceted. So, you know, it was just about doing more of what I wanted to do and less of what I didn't want to do and to do the whole thing for myself and really take a bet on myself to to see how I could maximize my earning potential and really participate in the, in the revenue that I had been generating. I wanted to be able to participate in the revenue I was generating. So I just, so I, I set out to do that. And I said, you know, I, my goal is, to, my, I was very focused on making at least my salary mm-hmm. um, as fast as possible. And I will tell you, I made, I made up my salary, my mm-hmm. highest salary at, the, at the, like the 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 peak, uh, you know, mm-hmm. peak of my career in mm-hmm. magazine journalism at Condé Nast. I made up my salary two months after I left, mm-hmm. and that is not bragged. It's not a brag, no. or you know, people say bragging no. is good. I, I'm not really a braggadocious person, but I say that because I want people to know mm-hmm. that is possible. Mm-hmm. That is possible. And it's, I've never looked back. Like once I got that real divine confirmation, which came in the form of Ava telling me the universe is calling you to be a little bit braver right now, coupled with my, my own planning and my own discernment. I, I left and I'm honestly grateful for everything I experienced there. So I don't want to come off as like bitter. um, Same. I agree. I'm really not. (laughs) I'm really not yeah,
0: not better uh, at all. But you, but you just you want to participate in the revenue that you generate. You want to be paid for your worth. You want to be, you know. In my case, it was a little different. I wanted to be some place that I knew that valued all that I brought to the table. Who wants to be in a relationship with anybody that doesn't if they, if they don't value you? Right, like, you that's not a healthy. Bad relationship. You know who? It's not a it's not a disrespectful thing. It could be a working relationship, and people stay in working relationships for different reasons, personally and professionally. But what I hear from you is that once you allowed yourself to be as brave as you needed to, the world opened up to you in the way in Absolutely. which you wanted it to.
1: It did. And that and is I, beautiful. And 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 I think there's a lot of spiritual laws up in here too. You know, I mean I don't I don't think there's anything to go through professionally that isn't a reflection of spiritual growth, um, or spiritual battle. Um and yeah, I, I and I believe really in the power of writing it down. Like writing your vision down and watching how the universe conspires in your favor and just manifest. And I, and again, I don't want to be too, I don't want to come off as too woo woo, but like I'm a spiritual person and I wouldn't, I, I, I have leaned on God's will at God, God's guidance the entire, every step of the way. And um, it's incredible to see like, you know, when I left Teen Vogue, I had this whiteboard and I certainly had a couple of things locked down, but I also had some, you know, I had some question marks on that board. Like, I know I want to become a producer. I want to, um, I want, I know that a TV show is in my future. Um, I don't know what the format is. I don't know what the platform is. I don't know. You know, there's some, some fuzzy, there's some fuzziness around that particular bucket, and it was sort of interesting to see just as one example, like life blossomed into all, all of those like gray areas became crystal, started to become crystal clear over time. I got a call months after I left Teen Vogue to join the Project Runway team and I had never, could have never seen that coming. And frankly, at first it was a no. Because I was sort of in, I'm, I I continue to keep myself in a place where I can make decisions based on hell yes energy, like hell yes energy or no. I don't want to be in the gray area of like meh, eh, and then you're doing suddenly you, you you've built a, a business you don't even want to work for, you know, and you're your own boss and you have no one else to blame. So I mm-hmm. I really like I had to work through some things with that, and I said, well, one of the things that that is important to me is learning, is, is, is being a producer. I wanna translate my skills as an editor and apply it to television and film. I wanna, I want to learn how to be a producer. So can we, can we ask them to let me be a producer on this? And they're like, they're, they have no incentive to offer that to you. It's, a, you know, first season, it, it'd be a little, you know, it, it would definitely break from precedence. And I had someone who worked for me at the time that said, ask anyway ask anyway. What's the worst that can happen? They can say no, but they're not going to, you know, let's ask anyway. So they asked and guess what the answer was? Yes. And so that got me to my hell yes. Hell yes. You know? So yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so I'm grateful for the dark parts of the journey, I am, it makes me even more gr- grateful when we're in, in the light and then the, you know, when things are all working out. Um, but I haven't looked back once. Um, I, I, there, there, isn't, there isn't a single regret. Elaine, you
0: have given me life. Over this hour and change, I'm I, I you can't I can't wait till I take this intro. I might, and by the way, I'm becoming I, I never had uh, tears before. Somehow these salty things keep oh. falling out of my tear ducts. I don't know. If Jamel was here, she'd be like, there you go, crying again. But I'm just, I'm shedding a lot. And that was beautiful. And uh, and I and I did feel for you because I understand your pain, but I'm also rejoicing in all the wonderful things the world is bringing you and 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 the power that you have. And so keep sharing your story. And you. I, I thank you. But thank you for just sharing it with us. You gave me life, girl. I want to get off the phone and call. I'm gonna get off this and call everybody. I'm like, y'all, let me tell you what I learned today. <laughs> My girl tell you what i learned today i'm about to if it's not hell yeah i ain't doing it that's ah! it <laughs> i ain't doing it i love it the hell yes movement well when i moved to la i oh it's a done deal i'm gonna ask i'm gonna get your phone number from Bozema so we can mm-hmm. um start texting okay is that okay
1: yes yes okay hell thank
0: you can. so much hell yes thank you so much for being on the podcast i walked away with a lot of gems I have a lot of jewelry on elaine gave me so much to live for like i said pass that plate give her her 20 because that was a true sermon she deserves it she was working hard but here are some of my takeaways you may have different ones but these are mine the first thing that i really really appreciated was her realizing that she gave herself permission to be everything she didn't know exactly what she wanted to be growing up But she did know that she wanted to be excellent at everything she did. She didn't put herself in one particular bubble, if you will, one particular profession, because she wanted to be open to do other things. And it's okay to be a master at many things, to be excellent at many things. She's doing it well and we see others do it. So my biggest takeaway was give myself permission to do what I want. Number two. When Elaine got the job as editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue, she finally realized what was arguably the most valuable thing about her was her otherness. So many times we battle with assimilation when we get into these positions that you feel like you are the only one and oftentimes you are the only one. But she says, always realize that your otherness is invaluable. Embrace it. Use it. That's why you're in these rooms. That's why you're in this position. And for me, that was huge. Embracing my otherness because it's invaluable. Number three, don't troll yourself. (laughs) Listen, I troll myself every single day, no matter what I'm doing. If I'm at work, if I am talking to my dog, if I am, ordering food. If I'm talking to my friends, I am trolling myself. I'm constantly saying to myself, am I, am I asking too much? Am I doing too much? Am I being too demanding? Um, is this wrong? Should I do this? Should I do that? Counter that narrative with positive affirmations. And she kept saying, I don't want to sound too woo-woo, but I love that. Write down uh, words that bring you joy, sayings that uplift you. I am a big believer in that. Say it out loud and say it often, because so many times we troll ourselves, especially when we get to a point where we are, quote unquote, our own bosses, or we are in these positions of power. We troll ourselves saying, am I doing it right? Am I doing this wrong? Stop it. Stop trolling yourself and constantly combat that narrative with positive thoughts about who you are. That's it for this week's episode of The Brown Print. Let's keep the conversation going online. You know, I love to go online. Follow us on Instagram at The Brown Print Podcast and on Twitter at Brown Print Pod. Follow me, Carrie Champion, on IG and Twitter. You can find me at Carrie Champion. Don't at me if you got attitude. Well, okay. We'd love to hear your feedback or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on, please reach out to the brownprintpod at gmail.com. Again, at brownprintpod at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. It helps spread the word. It is so important that we stay active and vocal. We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. Haha kidding kind of not really meanwhile uh again five star rating and positive review we need it it really helps the podcast grow the brown print is a gallery media group original production